0: Genesis chapter 13. Yeah, it's not going to be. It's not too heavy tonight. It's it's uh, a little bit less meat, a little more application, and uh, it's just kind of a straight up story, just telling what happened and, and what's going on here. Some things that we can glean from some awesome things. But we know that. Remember last week we talked about. Remember Abraham had gone into Egypt. Remember that with his wife Sarah, and he gave her over, or he didn't give her over to Pharaoh. But what he did is pretty much threw her to the dogs and said you got to be my sister, you know, so they don't come and kill me. And so he did. I mean, she did that for him. She was a faithful wife. And then we talked about that. She, she submitted unto him, even though she knew he was doing the wrong thing. And um, we see Abraham going here into Egypt. We talked about all kinds of stuff last week. But we see him coming out of Egypt after all the ruckus had happened. And remember, he took away some things from the Pharaoh. Remember, he took away, uh, there was all kinds of, let's see, I believe it was it was cattle and um, oxen and sheep and maidservants, remember, and men servants, camels and all the rest, donkeys. And so the Pharaoh gave him all this stuff um, when he had come into the land. And so he walked away with all this stuff also. And he walked away with the maidservant. Who's the maidservant? Remember? Anybody know? Hagar. Remember who anybody know who Hagar is? Hagar is. Remember the maidservant. Remember when Abraham and Sarah, his wife God says they're going to have a baby, and then what happens? They don't trust God, remember at 100 years old they don't trust God, and so what happens? He goes and um, has sexual relations with his, his, his maidservant, and has a baby with her, and who's that baby? Ishmael. Ishmael, and that's where the Arab nation comes from, or the Muslim nation comes from. And then who is the promised son? Isaac, remember? Abraham, Isaac. Isaac is the promised son, and he is the one, he is the nation of Israel. So you have the nation of Israel born through Abraham you have the nation of the Muslim nation born through Abraham also. And it was because he slept with his maidservant. Big mistake here. And and that's who he took away. This maidservant came from right here last week what we were looking at there in Genesis chapter 13. I mean Genesis chapter 12, I'm sorry. So now we're looking at Genesis chapter 13. The story picks up. And let's uh, read together. We'll start in verse 1. And Abraham went out went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the, sou- from the south even to Bethel, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar which he had made there, At the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. We'll stop there. So Abraham comes out of Egypt. Where he shouldn't have been in the first place. Remember? Anybody remember why he went down to Egypt? Remember he was tented. He was sat down. A famine happened. A famine happened. I don't know if you remember. But a famine went down. And so him and his wife. He takes him and his wife down to Egypt. And remember all this bad stuff happens. But he comes out with a lot of stuff at the same time. So he's coming out of Egypt, which he shouldn't have been in the first place. Egypt is a picture of the world. It's a picture of the world. It's a type of the world. Remember, Egypt in the scriptures is always a type of the world, the place that we shouldn't be. And we see Abraham coming out of it. He was very rich at this time, extremely wealthy. Abraham, one of the wealthiest men in the Bible. This guy's extremely rich, all the stuff that he got, and, um, and Lot also. But he gets all this stuff from Pharaoh. Pharaoh hooks him up and gave him all this stuff. And uh, he ends up walking away with it all. And so he's very rich at this time. Um, he goes down south into a place called Bethel. Remember what Bethel is called? House of God. Beth, El. Beth, house, El. Remember Hebrew? God. El, God. Always. El is always God in Hebrew. And then Beth means house. So house of God is what it's called. Bethel is the place where he goes and dwells. Or actually goes a little south of it. And he sits right in the middle between Bethel and Hai. You remember what Hai is? Hai the heap, or the dump, the lame old place. And he sat right there in the the middle of it. And you see that this is the place where he put his tent, or where it had been in the beginning. We'll stop right there, just something quick to note. Abraham sets up a tent in between the house of God and the heap, okay? And then what does he do? He goes down because of a famine, and he goes down into Egypt. Bethel, the house of God, the tent here. What Abraham should not have done is go down into Egypt because he was hungry because of the famine. He was scared. He didn't trust God. He didn't rely on God to provide for him. He went and sought out, went to where? The world. He went to Egypt, the world. He went down there to seek after stuff and, and tried to get that famine taken care of, per se. And he lost and he messed up, even though the grace of God hooked him up in a special way with all that stuff, but at the same time he suffered by getting that maidservant, which causes huge disaster to the nation of Israel. That's where remember Ishmael comes. I'm telling you. In our lives too. Many times we're sitting between the house of God, maybe, and the heap we're not we're not at the heap, we're not in the dump, we're not in the rut. At the same time, we're not at the house of God. We're not trusting in God at that time. We're kind of tented right there in the middle, right? And, we, and instead of running to the house of God in time of need, we find ourselves what? Running south. We run to the world sometimes. We run to things of the world to find pleasure, satisfaction. A lot of times, me and you think with our problems that if we go and succeed in the world, that we're going to be happy all of a sudden. If I make a bunch of money, I'll be, I'll be set. won't have to worry about money now, right? No. Remember... More money you make, more problems you get. More money, more problems. You know the song. <laughs> it's the <a> truth. <laughs> money going down into the world because there's famine in our hearts, because there's famine in our minds, because there's famine in whatever's going on in our lives. It's eating us away because we feel hungry and we don't feel satisfied. And you can feel it. I know you can, because I feel it too. The flesh cries out for Egypt. The flesh like yearns to go and do those things. Longs after whatever that may be. Trying to find satisfaction in something other than the house of God. We run down to Egypt, and we end up having an Ishmael. Something that destroys, and still today, do you know who Ishmael is today? It's the people that continue. To persecute the Jews all the days. It's the Muslims, man. They'll never stop. It's that thorn in the flesh, per se, that will never leave. It's the repercussions of a bad decision. And we must remember, my friends, we must remember, we must never forget that the repercussions of sin are always greater than what we can handle. Always greater. Always greater. Before you think about sinning or before you think about chasing after that person or talking about that person or lying here or not doing what's right there, you must remind yourself, these repercussions are greater than what I can handle. If I do this or if I go through with this or if I say this or if I'm not checking myself here or not doing this, remember sin is also knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. Knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. Knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. The repercussions are always greater than what we can handle. And you will have an Ishmael. And haven't we all? We've slept with Hagar's per se, and messed up. And done things that we weren't supposed to do And we've seen the Ishmael come forth. And we've trusted in God when He's promised us a son with our wife, Sarah, and we've seen Isaac's born, the miracle son of God. We've seen it happen many times. We see blessings upon blessings in our lives when we trust in the King. And so when you feel, hey, when you feel a little dry inside, when the famine starts to come, when you start to starve a little bit for the world, and you can feel that flesh crying out, here's the key. How do you take control of your flesh, do you know? One way is fasting. Why fasting, Josh? This is why. Two reasons. I wasn't going to go into this, but the Lord just brought it to me. Fasting. Fasting is important. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know how to do that. What are you talking about? Fasting. Fasting is when you tell your body, no. Hey, listen up, body. You're hungry, aren't you, flesh? You're hungry, huh? You're my f- striving. I, want, I need food. My body needs food. I, want, I like food. I love love to drink down some Gatorade, I love to, you know, there's lots of things our our flesh longs for, sleep, when it's hard to wake up in the morning, you you feel that flesh, like when you're laying there in your pillow and it just feels so good and you're just like, oh snap, this is nice, (laughs) and you're laying there and it's like, I gotta get up, and your flesh bites you, you're like, oh no, you train this thing, you deprive it of whatever it wants, how do you get your? That's why Jesus. That's where the boys. That's why he tells us to fast to get your your flesh under control. Because this flesh is a real alive machine. That's happening. If you don't take control of it and repair it here and there, it's going to get jacked up. Okay, you're going to have malfunctions everywhere. You're going to find yourself just chasing after all kinds of things and anything that the flesh thrives after. Anything that you're just sitting there and all of a sudden you feel your, you know like you, you feel yourself leap after those things. It's true. How do you take control? It's by fasting. When you fast, you fast for a day, you tell your body, listen up body, you will not eat today because I said so. That's the physical part of it. That's taking control of your flesh. The spiritual part is instead of eating in those times when you eat, you pray, or you spend time with the Lord, you minister to others. And the secret to this is you never tell anyone when you're fasting, ever. Now if it slips out or whatever, it's okay, you know, of course. You know, it's not legalism like, you know. Jesus says do it in secret. He says back in the day when your face gets pale because you haven't eaten, He says, you know, take some blood and rub it on your face. We have makeup today, you know, whatever. Guys, go get a tan or something. <laughs> <laughs> but He says rub some blood on your face so you don't look pale. Try to hide it, you know. Don't boast in yourself. Hey everybody, I'm fasting. Woo, I'm spiritual. Now you hide it from the people, you do it in the closet. And you take control of your flesh. That's the physical side, and the spiritual side is what? You pray and you spend time with the Lord during those times when you would be eating or doing whatever, and you feed the spirit, you feed the spirit, you feed the, stop feeding the flesh, feed the spirit. Remember, you have two dogs. One's the spirit, one's the flesh. If you feed the spirit more, guess what, they get in a fight, the spirit's going to kill the flesh dog. You feed the flesh a lot, that flesh will take over your spirit many times. So you take control of this thing, this body, this machine. Something interesting to note about fasting, guess what? When you're not eating and you're fasting, your brain is sharper, you think faster. Because all the blood that goes to your stomach to digest all the food all day long, it's not going there anymore, it's going to your mind now. And you can think clear, and you can think sharp. Notice, after you eat, what do you feel like doing? Going to sleep, you see. You don't think. You don't think quickly. If you deprive yourself and you hold back on your flesh, you think clear. And we need to do that once in a while. We need to do that constantly. Remember, Jesus said. He said to the disciples, "Like, why couldn't we cast out those demons? Why couldn't we, you know, heal those sick? Why couldn't we do?" He says, "Because you're not fasting. Those only come out by fasting and prayer. You need to be walking in the Spirit, my friends." You need to deprive the flesh. When that famine comes, you say, Hey, I'm going to go to the house of God and be fed. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love. God is love. Go and eat that fruit. Go and be blessed by that fruit. I know you will. And me too. Let's continue to move on here. Verse 5, And Lot also, which went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. Do you get that? Lot went with Abraham also. Who's Lot? Anybody know? His nephew, that's right. His nephew. It's Abraham. So Lot looks up to Abraham. Well, that's my uncle. Abraham looks down to Lot. That's my nephew. It's his brother's son. So he's dragging Lot around. So Lot, in verse 5, also, which went with Abraham, he had flocks, and he had herds, and he had tents, this young guy. And the land was not able to bear them. Who? Abraham and Lot. Why? That they might dwell together, for their substance was so great that they could not dwell together. Stop there. They had so much stuff, they could not dwell together in the land they were dwelling. Remember where they go back to? Between Bethel, house of God, and Hebron, the heath. The dump. So they're dwelling here. They're dwelling together. And guess what happened? They can't live together. they got too much stuff. It's just like crowded. It's overbearing. And So what happens? Look at verse 7. There was a little strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwell in the land. Stop right there. Abraham and Lot dwelling together, remember? Uncle and nephew. They're hanging out, they're having a good time, whatever, we're living between Bethel and Hai. House of God in the dump. We just got out of Egypt. We're hanging out. Our herdsmen start fighting. The people who take care of their flocks. It's like all their employees start going at it, start fighting each other. It's like, oh great. We got two little gangs, you know, like. Where are you from? Abram. Where are you from? Lot. You know, they start going at it. So these guys fighting, going at it with each other. What happens? Wait, wait, wait. Let's stop real quick. No, we'll go forward. Let's proceed. Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife. Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and you, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen. For we be brothers. We be brethren. Oh, I love the picture here. Oh, beautiful. For we be brothers. For we are brothers. For we are brethren. We are family. What is this nonsense about us fighting together and bickering about one another? What's with the strife? things to note here. Awesome. Amazing. Don't miss this. The church. The brothers and sisters in Christ. The strife and the dumb things that are happening amongst us. She said this and he did that. And they looked at me and didn't say God bless you or they didn't invite me here and she did this on the weekend. And he was over there with them. I can't believe that. This is nonsense? So, I haven't seen you in a while, how's your walk? What's with the strife between the brothers and sisters in Christ? What about the churches, huh? Why is there contention between the churches? Our church is bigger than yours. Who cares? It's not about the numbers. It's about how much your church weighs. That's what that is. It's not about who has the bigger programs or the cooler stuff or this and that. I am fed up, personally, with you guys. I'll talk to you right now. With the church of today, my friends, why are we divided? Why can't one pastor come over to another pastor's church and say, hey, we're bringing the whole congregation over this weekend to come in fellowship with you guys, to love on you guys, to take communion with. Hey, we want to worship with you. And then all of a sudden, the pastor starts so warm and touch and says, "Hey, pastor, we're coming over to your church next week, and we're going to come love on your people, and bless your people." Why don't you let us fix you a giant feast next week? We'll, we'll, we'll buy all the food, and we'll just come over and party in the name of Jesus together. Why not? Why, aren't, why isn't one church welcoming another church? What is this? my like that That's why I love the upper room so much, you know, here at this Bible study. I don't know how many different churches have walked through this building. We've been in this for like four years or something. This Bible study. I've seen maybe 500 to 1,000 kids per walk through a year. The study's been anywhere from 5 kids to 120 kids this in here at a time packed in And I just love it. Everybody's just brothers and family and just friends and just having a great time and loving on one another, man. No strife. Everything's fixed. And hey, guess what, my friends, maybe that's our generation. Maybe that's what we are to do. Maybe that's what we are to rise up and do this generation, this day and age. One of my visions, one of my great visions the Lord gave me a long time ago. I don't know if it's ever going to come true or not. Maybe it's a picture of heaven, I don't know. But up in Lake Matthews, where we we buy a bunch of land, right? All the churches in Riverside. Maybe everybody pitch in, you know, I don't know, 10 grand or whatever, or whatever they can bring to the table, who cares? We go up and we buy a huge piece of land up there in Lake Matthews, right? Maybe two times a month, you know, on a Sunday night or something, everybody, all the churches go up on this huge piece of land. We don't need anything spectacular. We just set up a little stage, set up some speakers, and all the people come. They bring blankets or whatever, and just, I mean, every single church in Riverside goes up there, and we all celebrate the king together we all lift up his name and exalt him as he used to be exalted that the entire city of Riverside could hear the worship ascending to heaven the king that the Lord would come and just beam down his glory and his presence upon his people in such a powerful way I wouldn't long for that and not one church runs it but hey, some church runs it every different week and we just have a different flavor of stuff every week We should have a blast together. Just like it's called the church of Riverside maybe. It's like the church of Corinth or the church of Philippi. I long for that day, my friends. And maybe it's coming soon. Here in the text we see that with Abraham. The church, the strife, and what happens? What's the solution? Who goes to who? Who goes to who? Abraham goes to Lot. The old man going to the young boy. Does not the pride of the older always say, I'm not going to him, a little buster. You shouldn't be fighting with my boys. Doesn't he know who I am? I'm Abraham. I'm a friend of God. God has spoken to me and given me the vision. God has spoken to me and said, guess what? I will give you all the land. This is your country. This is your nation. Through you I will make you a great nation which no man can count. And who went to who? Abraham went to Lot. Amazing. The friend of God. The humility. The servant of God. And that's key for us. You be the older spiritually. If you have problems with anyone, you go to them. And you make things right the best you possibly can. Abraham bends over backwards right now. You're going to see this. This is crazy what he's about to do right now. Blow your face off. But watch what he does and learn from it. And apply it to your life. And if you see these things happening in the church around, you exhort your brothers and sisters. You exhort the people around you in love and say, Hey! I love you man, and you need to go to that person, don't come and talk smack to me about them. You don't need to be blunt like that, but you can say, hey, you know, have you prayed for him? Well, let's pray for him right now, let me lead. Or, hey, you know what, why don't me and you, let's go and talk to him about it, if you have a problem. You can't believe they did that, well, hey, let's go and, let's go and make that better. There should be no strife between us. And if there is strife, it should not be because of your fault, Christian. It should be because your hands are clean and you have built the bridge. Like you've overbuilt the bridge. you built the bridge so much. you built their bridge. You did everything you possibly can. You're just waiting for them to walk over. That's the way it should be in the family of Christ. And that's what Abraham does right here. Look, watch, listen carefully. Remember? They can't dwell in the land together because there's too much, right? And the people are fighting. Abraham comes to the Lot, and this is what happens. This is what he says. Is not the whole land before thee? Abraham speaking to the Lot. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If you will take the left hand, I will go to the right. If you depart to the right, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from another. Stop right there. What happened? Abraham comes to Lot. He says, Lot, listen up, my man. We've got to be separated. We can't have this strife anymore. I pray you, I ask you, please, would you go away from me? And he says this to him. He says to the younger boy, You choose whatever land you want, and you can have it. And I will take whatever's left. You take as much as you want. You go to the left, and I'll go to the right. You go to the right and I'll go to the left. He lets him have the blood. He lets him. It doesn't make any sense. Because me and you guys, or me especially, I feel this way. When somebody does something wrong to me, this is what I'll do. I'll go and do the best I can to build a bridge to them and make things right. But I will not give them something. I will not go far and beyond to bless them after that. That's called grace. That's the hand of God. Jesus, our King, remember? We slap Him in the face. Not only does He build the bridge back for us where we can have communication with God, but He gives us what? Heaven? Life and that abundantly? Cast your burden upon me, I give you rest. Peace is surpassed understanding. All your needs provided for. Abraham does the same thing here. Not only does he build the bridge back and say, hey, you know, there's some stuff going on, and hey, I just want to make things right. You know, you need to go your way, and I need to go my way. That could have been enough. Like, okay, you just go, I'm taking my land, which God promised to me, and you go. No. He says anything you want. Remember? Wait, wait, wait. God had already told Abraham the land that he would give him. It's in verse 7 of chapter 12. Let me read it. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto your seed I give this land. There he built an altar unto the Lord and appeared unto him. God had already given him land, and he still came to Lot and said, Anything you want, you can have. This doesn't make sense. But Abraham did this for Lot. And watch how the Lord rewards him because of his faithfulness. Apply this to your life tonight. When people wrong you, when people do things wrong to you, go and build the bridge back and then go buy them something. Go and bless them. Go and do something for them. Whatever that means to you, I don't know what that means. Sing them a song, I don't know. You figure out what that is. You build the bridge and you try to do something for them so the blood is not on your hands at all. You were washed clean. You've done the right thing. You've shown grace. You haven't just shown mercy. You haven't just let them get out of jail free. But you've given them a house to live in after they get out of jail, you see. Know this. And watch how God will reward you. Are you ready? Let's look at the text together. Verse 12. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly man? We'll talk about that in just a second. Verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that Lot was separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. Did you see that? God just said, look all the place that you see. Look to your right, look to your left, look in front of you, look behind you. North, south, east, and west. Look at it. and What does he say? For all the land which thou seest, to you I will give it. And I will give it to your seed forever.
1: And I will make
0: your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can count the number of the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Stop. I can't believe this. God comes to Abraham and says what? When Lot is now, Lot separated from him, he says, now, Okay, Lot. I mean, Abraham. You did the right thing, my man. Look to the east. And look to the west. And look to the north and look to the south. God said, Every single piece of land that you see, I will give it to you. The question I asked didn't Lot just stand right next to Abraham and say, I want that, 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 and that. Didn't he say where it's green over there, that's what I want? And God says, I will give all of that to you. And you will have it all. And God does give it to him. Remember? Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. Do you remember? Remember, fire and brimstone rained down because of all the sin and sick stuff that's going on there. Remember Abraham, they try to go in and save him. Gosh, there's so much story to go into. But Lot's in there and these two angels appear to him and say, Dude, you've got to get out of the city. God's going to burn down and destroy it. And, the, and all the men of the city come out and start banging on the door and say, In this city of Sodom and Gomorrah, start saying, We want those men in there. We want to come out and have sex with them. Disgusting. Homosexuality. And Lot is the king of this whole city. He's like making all this stuff happen. And so Lot says, No, don't hurt the angels. And what does he do? He, takes, he says, I have two virgin daughters. And pushes them outside. You can have them instead. The wickedness of the city. But God is telling Abraham, He sits there and says, Abraham, as far as you can see, you will have it all. Why? I believe because Abraham had the right heart. And my friend, I'm telling you, That when you do the right thing and when you are gracious, God will give it all to you. And the enemy or the person that has wronged you or done whatever, they will end up seeing that. See, do you be be gracious to get that? No, Abraham didn't know he was going to get all that. You be gracious because God has been gracious to you, my friends. Learn from this passage. See it here. Learn... From the wisdom of Abraham. And learn from the idiocy of Lot. What did Lot do? Abraham said, hey, whatever you want. You take whatever you want, and I'll go to the left, I'll go to the right. Lot says, hey, you see that green pasture over there? Sodom and Gomorrah over there? I want that. What was going on in Sodom, remember? What does it say there? Look in verse 13. In Sodom... The men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. What did Lot want? He wanted the party scene, my friends. He looked out there and said, Man, that green pasture over there where it's all partied up, that's what I want. I want the hot city. I want to go move there. I want to go be there. Beware if you ever move away. Beware if you ever go off or move with your family because of a job decision. Know where you're going. Know why you're going. Don't you go because of a money decision. Don't you go because it's better for this or better for that, my friends. Listen. You must first check to make sure that there's a church there and a family there that you can be ministered to. Stay focused. You go and move there because of great opportunity like Lot. Ooh, it's green over there. That's good for my flocks. That's a good business decision. That's a great move. I'm not telling you not to go and succeed. What I'm telling you is I'm worried about your spirituality, my friends. The life is short. The season is very short. Store for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust and do not eat up. Where robbers don't break in and steal. Don't worry about the serve. You look and find the place that God wants you to be in. You seek His face first. Did, 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 did Lot... Go and build a altar as soon as he got there? He didn't, did he? Abraham, if you notice, even in this passage, you see he builds an altar twice. Everywhere he goes, he builds an altar to the Lord It says, Praise be to you, king. Lot did not pray about it. Lot did not talk to the Lord about it, where he was to go or what he was to do. Notice, as soon as Lot left, who did Abraham talk to? The Lord came and spoke with him. You need to be talking to the king about where you are to go. And you are to go there. And if the Lord says, Well, Josh, you need to go there because... Um, it's a great opportunity to make some more money. And there's a great church right there. And there's a great visit and Yeah, amen. Amen, go. Go in the name of Jesus and be blessed. Go and bless your family with wealth and money. That's okay. But do not go at the risk, at the loss of your own walk with the King. Your sacrifice for your family and your children and, and being at a good church. And being at a good place where they can grow, my friends. Okay? Be focused. Don't miss out. There's a lot of wisdom in this text. We're going for the next hour, And I won't. Let's take this wisdom tonight. Let's go down to the last two verses. And apply this to our lives. So God says, Arise, walk through the land and length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abraham removed his tent, came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto. Where do you dwell? In Mamre and in Hebron. Mamre, the word means fatness. Hebron, the word means communion. Communion, communion, communion. And Abraham goes and builds an altar unto the Lord. I believe, do, we have, do we have communion set up tonight, Robert? We do. the Lord has given us our place to dwell. I love that. I used to always take that and apply it to my life. Joshua, remember when in the first chapter when God says, Joshua, anywhere that you lay your feet, you can have it anywhere. I've given the land to you. It's important to build an altar anywhere that you go, so that you can be altered, So you can be changed. It's important to take communion and be delighted in fatness in what way spiritually. We're going to do that tonight. We're going to celebrate the king together. The cool thing about this this passage here is that even though Abraham messed up, did you see that? Remember, he messed up with his wife Sarah, threw her to the Egyptians. the Lord prevailed him. Even though he had sinned, even though he had sinned before the God, the sovereign king, God had been gracious unto him and forgiven him and still said, I'm going to give you all the land. If I was God and I told Abraham to do something and he didn't do it, oh, you little buster, oh, you want to disobey, huh? Snatch, you're not getting the land now. What do you think about that, huh? No land for you. But the king didn't do that, did he? gave him all the land. He gave him all the land. And even though you may not say have all the land that you think you're going to have, just like Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah was not his yet, it was lost at that time. God will give you that land. God will give you those things in your life that you desire. God will give you those promises that he has promised to you. God will pull forth forth through you in every single way that you've ever imagined. he pull through. He doesn't know how not to. And we're going to celebrate that tonight in the way that He has pulled through for us in what way? Being forgiven. This is a time to be altered and to celebrate. It's not a funeral service, my friends. We're not coming here to think about how badly he was beaten and ripped to shreds. We should remember that. But not to stare at a dead body. We're to stare at the resurrected body that our king is alive and walking around and that we are forgiven and that we get to go to heaven. And we get to celebrate Jesus and remember him and what he's done for us. And so we're going to do that. Robert, you just want to um, pass it around real quick for us. Communion is for two things. Number one, confession. The word confession is homo legeo. It means to speak the same, to say the same thing. Confessing. We bring ourselves before the King and before the altar so that we can be altered. And we say, hey. Lord, those things are wrong in my life. I know that I have done wrong. I know that I have messed up. I confess that those things are wrong. homolegale. Speak the same. Agree with God. We agree with God that these things are wrong. We need to let ourselves and remind ourselves that these things destroy us and mess us up. This is the part part of being altered or being changed where we come before the altar to our King.